Welcome, this is 101.9 Chai FM, it's People of the Book, and you have my company for the next hour. This is Stephen Kravitz, and we're looking at books. It's the first show for 2018, and we've got a few books that I read in the last week, and a number of books that I'm looking forward to reading because they'll be coming out. In 2018, some early releases being released in the early part of the year. And a very big mix. There's no, there's no underlying theme to the show besides good books. To start off with a book that came out just at the end of 2017, Nick Harkaway is the author. Nick Harkaway himself has a very pedigreed uh, biography. He is John Corre's son, and he is a, I want to use the word, uh, a trailblazing uh, and uh, uh, author in his own right. He's written three books before um, his new one. Uh, the first one, The Gone Away World. The second one, Angel Maker, which when that came out a few years ago, was by far my, my favorite novel of that year. His third book, Tiger Man. And now his new book, uh, Nomon. It's spelt G-N-O-M-O-N, Nomon. And a Nomon is the part of a sundial that stands above the flat plane and casts its shadow. So his book is called Noman. It's brilliant. It's visionary. That's the other word I wanted to use to describe Nick Harkaway. He's a visionary author. This book is visionary, but it's it's not for everyone. It's really hardcore Nick Harkaway. And the basic story, it's almost sci-fi. Uh, looking at almost like a science fiction. But it's also a, mur- uh, a murder investigation, but in a slightly dystopian future. So you've got all of these different elements mixing together. But it is definitely visionary. In the near future, Britain is not just a nation under surveillance, but a nation built on surveillance. The British people have accepted a radical experiment in personal transparency and ambient direct democracy. Every action a person does is seen, every word is recorded. There is a system of technology that holds those records. And with such transparency, there is no parliament. Everyone votes. You have democratic duty and everyone takes part in their democratic duty on a regular basis to deal with the main issues that parliament would have dealt with within this almost I don't know with overtones of 1984 within such a world there's a woman named Diana Hunter she's a refusenik she refuses to be co-opted into this technologically-based democratic experiment. She doesn't want every action of her life recorded. 
and then used. So she has gone off the grid. A has-been cult novelist who lives in a house with its own Faraday cage. So she is totally off the grid in every single in every single meaning of the phrase. No electronic single ink signals can enter or leave. She is off the grid in a society where the grid is everything. She is denounced because the British system cannot operate if a person can live off the grid. So she's denounced, she's arrested, she's interrogated by a machine, this machine that interrogates her is one of Nick Harkaway's great creations in this book. Because what this machine does is that it can read your whole life history from your brain and make a copy of it, and then that can be investigated. But what happens in this case is Diana Hunter dies in custody. That's never happened before. That death has to be investigated. So Meliki Neith is the investigator charged with discovering how this tragedy occurred. Neith is a stalwart advocate of the system, which is what underpins British society, and the justice and freedom that the system affords all its citizens. In Meliki Neith's mind... This system is the most democratic government the world has ever known, and Neith is prepared to protect it with her life. But when Neith opens up the record of the interrogation and she enters into the the reproduced mind of Diana Hunter, she finds not Diana's mind, but four others that cannot possibly have coexisted at the same time as Diana Hunter, and there's no ways that you can have four different minds in one mind. Who are these four people inhabiting Diana's minds? A banker who's pursued by a ghostly shark that eats corporations. An alchemist who seeks to resurrect the dead son she bore St. Augustine, so here going back to the 400s. An artist who must escape a house fire set by English fascists if only he can remember how to walk through walls. And finally, Nomon, a sociopathic human intelligence from a future falling backwards in time to conduct four assassinations. <laughs> Maliki Neith investigating Diana Hunter's death under investigation does not know what to do with the existence of four very, very different minds in Diana Hunter's mind. Aided, or perhaps opposed, by the pale and paradoxical Reino Lonrot, Neith must work her way through the puzzles of her case and find the meaning of these impossible lives. Hunter has left her a message, but it is one she should but is it one she should heed, or a lie to lead her to catastrophe? And as the stories combined and the secrets and encryptions of Noman are revealed, the question becomes the most fundamental of all. Who will live and who will die? So we really are reading the work of a visionary author who's trying to look into the future where the one thread 
of human social development intersects another thread of technology. He tries to mash it all together and see what type of society we could end up living in. But he puts the whole thing in this investigation. Word plays, literary references, mythological references, everything is there. Current events that is just plucked out of the headlines and embedded into the structure of his novel. It's super sophisticated, super, super clever, highly literary, weird in the extreme, and all put together in the book No Man. It's a long book, so if you do enjoy literary mind-bending fiction, it's 684 pages. It'll keep you busy for a long time. At certain ends of chapters and beginnings of the next chapters, you almost feel like you're starting a new book, going back to the 400s and then going forward in time to some Greek banker. You get a feel of the absolute range of topics, ideas, philosophies that Nick Harkaway, who's not an old man, just has at his pen tip and he writes he writes exceptionally well and the way he's able to play with all these ideas, that makes reading Nick Harkaway such a pleasure. So that's the first book, Nick Harkaway's Nomon. I'm going to say it's not for the faint-hearted. It's it's uh, it's it's one of those books that I like to recommend on the show because it will challenge you, and sometimes a challenge is good. We don't only read purely for entertainment; we sometimes also do read for challenge. The next book we're going to look at is much less challenging. It's much, much more straightforward, but it also mashes different media together. The book's called Are You Sleeping? It's by Kathleen Barber. It's her first, it's her debut novel, and it's about a murder investigation. The murder happened 10 years or 15 years in the past, but what makes the book so current is that the murder is being investigated through a podcast and it's actually not an idea that's new to this book in uh, in the world of podcasts there was a uh, a podcast a series of podcast episodes that was actually called it was called serial Serial was an investigative journalism podcast hosted by Sarah Koenig, an American, narrating a non-fiction story over multiple episodes. The series was co-created and, is, and was co-produced by Koenig and Julie Snyder and developed by This American Life. Episodes vary in length. New episodes were originally available weekly, but partway through the second series, the schedule was revised to every other week. Series ranked number one on iTunes even before its debut and remained there for several weeks. Serial won a Peabody Award, that's a journalistic award in America, in April 2015 for its innovative telling of a long-form non-fiction story. 
and this podcast has now been the right to it have been bought for an adapt for a, to be adapted for television in a miniseries and it created a, 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 a hunger for top quality podcasts looking at true crimes true crime and uh, where this podcast serial started the path the book Are You Sleeping continues to use podcasts as a medium of investigating crime well, the book Are You Sleeping is totally fictional but it's just interesting to see how a young author who's really writing for the podcast generation is using this new medium as a tool within her own writing. The story is all about a young lady called Josie Was Borman. Josie Borman lived in the American Midwest, a family of four. She had her, her father and her mother, herself and her twin sister. And then when she and her sister were 15 years old, her father was murdered in their kitchen. Josie was in her bedroom. Her sister had gone downstairs to get some water to drink and had witnessed the, her father being killed and was convinced that the person she saw killing her father was the neighbor's son. There was a court case. After that court case, the neighbor's son was found guilty, sent to jail on a life sentence. And after that, the family almost fell apart. They moved in with their aunt, their mother's sister. A few months later, the mother just couldn't face life, so she left the American Midwest and her family, and she went to live in a compound run by a cult in the San Francisco area without wanting to have anything to do with her family ever again. Josie's twin sister fell apart, ran with the wrong crowd, started taking drugs, left her aunt's house. <clears throat> her name was Lainey, and Lainey was almost a write-off. And Josie herself finished school, decided to travel the world, ended up meeting a guy from New Zealand. They moved to New York, and she's never gone back. And at the beginning of the book, what happens is someone called Poppy Parnell decides to create a series of podcasts investigating Josie's father's murder. And the pressure that this podcast puts on the family and how events spiral towards uncovering the truth of what happened 15 years ago. It's all at the center of this book. It's quite dark, but not too dark. It's very interestingly a combination of 
murder investigation and all the technology and how the technology of podcasts work. And uh, interesting, many, many chapters end off with a Facebook page or a Reddit thread or WhatsApp messages where people watching an episode or listening, people listening to an episode of the podcast then respond. So it's, a, it's I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's, a, it's a very exciting, very, very clever crime thriller, a domestic crime thriller. But the interesting thing is using podcasts as a structural tool to create the novel. We'll be back with some more really interesting books right after this ad break. Hi, Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. This is People on the Book on 101.9 High FM, our first show for 2018. The books that we are discussing on the show have all been posted on our Facebook page. So don't just listen to me say this. Do it. Go to Facebook, then search for... It's very long. People of the book on 101.9 High FM. High FM is all one word. Go to that page. Like the page. Look at the books that we've reviewed this week. Or if none of them tickle your fancy, go back to last week or the week before. They're all there for the last almost two years or more than two years. All the books that I've been reviewing here. And you'll find something that is of interest to you because our interests on the show run very, 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 very wide. The next book I'm going to talk about hasn't come out yet. It's going to be out in South Africa, most probably at the end of the month. And it's for young readers. I've just been having so much fun reading it to my sons over the last so many weeks. The book's called War. But war isn't just war. It also stands for Wizards and Robots. The book is co-authored by first co-author Will I Am, who's the multifaceted, multifaceted entertainer and innovator and a seven-time Grammy Award winner, known for his work with the Black Eyed Peas, who have sold 31 million albums worldwide. He's also an enthusiastic user of technologies. Intel Corporation appointed Will I Am as Director of Creative Innovation in 2011, where he met Brian David Johnson, who is the second co-author of the book. The future is Brian David Johnson's business. As a futurist, he works with organizations to develop actionable 10 to 15 year visions and what it will feel like to live in the future. Johnson has worked with governments, trade organizations, startups and multinational corporations to not only help envision their future but specify the steps needed to get there. Johnson holds over 30 patents and is the author of both science fiction and fact books. He has directed two feature films and is an illustrator and a commissioned painter. In 2016, Samuel Goldwyn released Vintage Tomorrow as a documentary based upon Johnson's book of the same name. Now, these two very, very different people have come together, Will I Am and Brian David Johnson, to write, I wouldn't say kids, I'd say from about eight, nine, although my six-year-old son has enjoyed the, the story immensely, all the way to 13, 14, 15 it's a book that really 
draws everything together. Because we have wizards, we have robots, and we have alien invaders of the world in the future. And they all have to either work together or come together to fight against the third one in order to guarantee the survival of the world. This is very imaginative uh, fiction. Uh, Science fiction, definitely, but there's also magic. So it really goes all the way from fantasy to science fiction in one book with a very interesting romantic interest at the very core of the book between a 400-year-old but teenage-looking wizard whose own father has rejected him but whose an ancient form of magic has identified as a possible saviour of the world and a 2052 teenager whose mother is a pioneering robotics specialist and her daughter Ada Luring is mentioned in a arcane manuscript as holding the key to the survival of humanity in the onslaught of a terrible alien invasion a thousand years in the future. All of this gets mixed together by Will I Am and by Brian David Johnson into war, wizards and robots. Great fun. Uh, what I've been very impressed with is that the quality of the the, the language, you, the book, just to read it, will improve any teenager's vocabulary immensely. They've used very, very good language to put across a very exciting story, but much, much deeper than that. An investigation in how different technologies, sciences work. And should there be animosity towards technology or should we be open towards technology? Which is a very, very big point that I think no one yet has given a definitive answer to. But this book opens that question in the minds of our young readers. And as I said, I've really... My sons and myself have got a lot of enjoyment over the last holiday reading, you know, I've been reading it aloud to my children, war. Then another book that's going to be coming out towards the end of January, I haven't read it, I've just got a copy, Uh, I do want to read it, and I think it'll be the type of book that a lot of people will gravitate towards. It's called In Shock by Dr. Rana Audish, subtitled From Doctor to Patient, What I Learned About Medicines in Humanity. Uh, two years ago, there was a book written, published posthumously by, by the author Paul Kalanithi, and it was called When Breath Becomes Air. Paul Kalanithi had just finished his Housemanship to be a neurosurgeon and he was diagnosed with cancer and while he was dying he wrote the book When Breath Becomes Air he died before the book was published but not only did he leave the world a very powerful document 
from a doctor's perspective as a patient, he also opened up the public's need to get into the mind of a doctor and look and see one of the limitations of a medical training when you are no longer the doctor but you're the patient. And that's what Dr. Raina Audish continues. She takes this idea and she also runs with it. The book is an intensive care doctor becomes the patient in a compelling memoir of life-threatening illness and unbearable loss. At seven, at seven months pregnant, Dr. Rana Awadish suffered a catastrophic medical event, hemorrhaging nearly all of her blood volume and losing her unborn first child. She spent months fighting for her life in her own hospital, enduring multiple major surgeries and a series of organ failures. Every step of the way, Awadish was faced with something even more unexpected and shocking than her battle to survive. Her fellow doctor's apparent indifference to human loss and disregard for anguish and suffering, the result of a self-protective barrier hardwired into medical training. In shock is Aldish's searing account of her extraordinary journey from doctor to patient, shatteringly personal yet wholly universal. It is both a brave roadmap for anyone navigating illness and a call to arms for doctors to see each patient not as a diagnosis but as a human being. The book will be out at the end of the month. I think a lot of people probably want to buy it as a gift for their, their family doctor, not as a criticism of the way that they've been doctoring, but rather as a, a way to enrich their, their role as in life as a doctor. The book's called In Shock by Dr. Raina Aldish, published by Bantam Press, will be out before the end of the the month. Now on to something absolutely completely different. The book is written by an ex South African who is based in the UK and lectures uh, at Oxford. Lyndall Gordon. She was in South Africa at the end of last year towards the end of last year. And the book is called Outsiders. And on the cover, subtitled Five Women Writers Who Changed the World. Virginia Woolf, Olive Schreiner, George Eliot, Emily Bronte, and Mary Shelley. Outsiders tells the stories of five novelists. Mary Shelley, Emily Bronte, George Eliot, Olive Schreiner, Virginia Woolf, and their famous novels. We have long known their individual greatness. But in linking their creativity to their lives as outsiders, this group biography throws new light on the genius they share. Outsider, outlaw, outcast. A woman's reputation was her security, and each of these five lost it. As writers, they made their identities their own and wrote their novels of genius. All five were motherless, with no female role model at hand, they learned from books, and if lucky, from an enlightened man. And crucially, each had to imagine what a woman could be in order to invent a voice of their own. They understood female desire. The passion and sexual bravery in their own lives infused their fictions. What they also have in common is the way they inform one another 
and us across the generations. Even today, we do more than read them. We listen and live with them. So this is very literary. It's literary criticism. Radio that's better than the rest. This is 101.9 High FM. These people of the book, we're looking at a whole lot of books. Already we've looked at Nick Harkaway's Nomon, that's G-N-O-M-O-N, Are You Sleeping by Kathleen Barber, Wizards and Robots by Will I Am and Brian David Johnson out towards the end of this month, and also In Shock by Dr. Raina Awdish, also out towards the end of this month. And then also we've looked at Outsiders by Lyndon Gordon, South African writer who lives in England, lectures in England, five women writers who changed the world. Now, next up is a book came out towards the end of last year. It's called Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore. It's by Matthew Sullivan. And with a title like that, on a book show, there's no ways you can pass up the opportunity to read and review such a book. Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore. At first, I had very strong associations in my mind with Robin Sloan's Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. And there's a little bit of similarity, but maybe like 2%. Then Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore really gets into its groove pretty quickly and it becomes something very different from what you thought. Some of the action happens in the Bright Ideas Bookstore. And the host novel set in Denver. The Bright Ideas Bookstore is in Denver. It's in a part of old Denver, downtown Denver, that's rapidly gentrifying. And a building that used to be a, 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 a electric bulb factory has been renovated and turned into a bookstore. And because it was, the building was used for making bulbs, they called the bookstore the Bright Ideas Bookstore. We are introduced to a cast of characters who work in this bookstore, and it's exactly what you'd imagine just by closing your eyes and imagining bookstore workers. That's exactly what they like. The, there's an absolute love for books. The other group of people who in, invade the bookstore are given a nickname by the main character. Her name is Lydia Smith. She calls this group of people book frogs. It's mostly men who spend an inordinate amount of time in the bookstore and they create almost a sense of community amongst themselves. And there's a lot of interaction between the staff of the bookstore and these book lovers who, for whatever reason, have ended up mostly unemployed, but really spending a lot of time in the bookstore. Now, Lydia Smith lives down the road from the bookstore she has uh, her partner and her, they have a, uh, an apartment close by. He works in technology, in an educational technology company. She works in the bookstore. 
and she has a close relationship with one of the book frogs she calls Joey. He's called Joey. She calls him a book frog. And they talk, and Joey feels he's got a very deep connection with Lydia Smith. Joey is a, a tortured soul, and one night when Lydia is in the store at midnight, just after midnight closing, she knows Joey's upstairs. She has a few books falling off the shelf, but she thinks that's just this you know, young 20-something man who's dropped a few books. And she goes upstairs to help him put the books on the shelf and escort him out the bookstore, and she finds that he's hung himself she's the first person to find him she screams and then she notices in his pocket there's a photograph when she was of her and two friends when she was 10 years old and she has absolutely no idea how Joey ended up with a photograph that has her in it from a time long before Joey was born the next morning in the newspaper, there's a picture of the police taking away the the suicide's body, or the, an ambulance taking away Joey who committed suicide's body, and she's in the photograph. And shortly after that, one of the other two people in the photograph, taken at her 10th birthday party, an Indian boy, Raj Patel, re-enters her life comes to the bookstore, says, I didn't know that you were here in town still, and he he reconnects with a childhood friend, and they start catching up. Then she also discovers that Joey has left all his earthly things to her, and when she goes to his apartment to clear everything out, because the landlords are going to rent it out to somebody else, she's presented with a book puzzle that Joey has left for her, that when she starts deciphering this book puzzle, she sees that Joey has left her messages, and it's almost as if he's talking from beyond the grave to her. From this beginning, we then have to move deeper into Lydia Smith's life and find out about that photograph the two friends who are in the photograph, a traumatic, traumatic event in Lydia's childhood around the age of her, just after her 10th birthday, that totally changed her life. And all these threads then connect back to Joey and to her father, who she's estranged from, and to her friend Raj Patel, or her long-lost friend, Raj Patel. And then it becomes a very, very interesting, also murder mystery, to find out exactly what this event was when she was 10 years old, and why it happened, and how Joey is connected to it. It's a very clever book, a little bit dark, but then it is called Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore. And it is a the type of murder mystery that a bibliophile 
and a person who works in a bookshop would want to write and read. So that's Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew Sullivan. It's available in the shops already. And it is, it is, it is also another great read. Not too dark that uh, you wouldn't want to read it, but uh, edgy enough in terms of the actual events that actually happened. It keeps you, draws you in and in and in. Then another book also, very, very different. Now we're going into something completely, completely different. It's called The Summer of Impossible Things. It is available in the shops. It's by Rowan Coleman, and it's published by Ebury Press. Whether it's attempting to alter past events or prevent something that's not yet happened in the future, literature is filled with tales about people with the ability to travel through time. What's always more interesting with these types of stories is not the actual time travel, but the butterfly effect of rewriting timelines how each tiny change can result in a different outcome. Rowan Coleman's The Sum of Impossible Things uses this concept to tell the story of a daughter desperate to save her mother, whatever the cost, even if that cost is her own life. The story begins in July 2007, as physicist Luna and her recovering alcoholic sister Pia arrive in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, to settle their late mother's affairs. They also hope to gain answers about the events that led to their mother's deep-rooted depression and eventual suicide. It's whilst retracing her mother's footsteps that Luna discovers she has the ability to travel through time. But this isn't the kind of gift that allows her to move through the ages without limits. Luna only travels back to 1997 where her mother is a vibrant and gutsy young woman, not the shell she later becomes. Luna befriends her mother in the weeks before her life changed forever and realizes that this is her one chance to rewrite history. But there's a catch. The events that ruined Luna's mother's life and drove her to suicide many years later might also be the event that brought Luna into the world, which means if she changes the past, she risks sacrificing her own future. Knowing that her mother's depression affected her sister's alcoholism too, Luna takes advantage of the opportunity to make things right for the people she loves. That's the summer of impossible things. Moving between 2007 and 1977, the book takes a similar approach to The Time Traveler's Wife, by focusing on the people rather than the science or the mysticism of time travel. This is a tale, the sum of impossible things, of sacrifice, bravery, friendship, and above all love. The love between mothers and daughters, the love between sisters, and the love between two strangers from different decades whose hearts transcend the confines of time and age. So, very different but definitely similar to The Time Traveler's Wife. If you like that type of slightly science but slightly impossible fiction, then The Sum of Impossible Things, which is available, is for you as well. 
It is in the shops at the moment, and it deserves to be read. For one last book, and it's trying to decide which, from which of the books I've got in front of me that are coming out this year, I should talk about, and this is the one. The book will be out in February. Already, friends in publishing have mentioned to me that I've got to read the book. It's so powerful. It's called Educated by Tara Westover. Tara Westover grew up preparing for the end of days, watching for the sun to darken, for the moon to drip, as if with blood. She spent her summers bottling peaches and her winters rotating emergency supplies, hoping that when the world of men failed, her family would continue on, unaffected. She hadn't been registered for a birth certificate. She had no school records because she'd never set foot into a classroom, and no medical records because her father didn't believe in doctors or hospitals. According to the state and federal government, she didn't exist. Now, this is in America in the current, current age, the beginning of the 20th century, 21st century. As she grew older, her father became more radical and her brother more violent. At 16, Tara decided to educate herself. Her struggle for knowledge would take her far from her Idaho mountains, over oceans and across continents, to Harvard and to Cambridge. Only then would she wonder if she'd travelled too far, if there was still a way home. Educated is an account of the struggle for self-invention. It is a tale of fierce family loyalty and the grief that comes with severe, severing the closest of ties. With the acute insight that distinguishes all great writers, Westover has, from her singular experience, crafted a universal coming-of-age story, one that gets to the heart of what an education is and what it offers, the perspective to see one's life through new eyes and the will to change it. So from a Mormon community in Idaho, Idaho, worrying about the end of days, Tara Westover decides to change her life. And this is her journey, her journey from rural backlands, from a family that viewed every branch of the American, every layer of the American government as illegal, once you have absolutely no interaction with that, from that space, she educated herself. She studied at Harvard and at Cambridge. But just like with the yo-yo, when it hits the bottom, it wants to bounce back. Somewhere along her trajectory, she felt a need to return. Tara Westover, educated. If that doesn't sound powerful... Um, I don't know. I don't know what would uh, what we'd need to um, to light a fire under your seat. So what we've looked at today, Nick Harkaway, Noman. It's a visionary novel, literary novel about the intersection between democracy, technology, transparency. Are you sleeping? Which is a murder mystery, a domestic thriller, but through the tool of podcasts but reported in on the page in a, in a fictional novel then we looked at technology and magic and time travel and the future and the past 
in a book for young readers that will be out at the end of January, Will I Am and Brian David Johnson, so the co-authors, and it's called War, which stands for Wizards and Robots. Then we looked at a medical memoir by Dr. Raina Ardish, a woman who became a doctor who then ended up as a patient and realized that there is a black hole in the heart of modern medicine, not taking the needs of the patient fully into account. Then we went on a very literary tangent. Outsiders by Lyndall Gordon, five women writers who changed the world. Lyndall Gordon is was born in South Africa. She lectures in the UK at the moment. This is literary criticism. And then remaining in the literary bend, we're going to mix lit, literary writing bookshops with uh, another murder, domestic murder mystery, Midnight at the Bright Ideas, a Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew Sullivan. Then we wanted to do something absolutely different, time travel again, and that's Rowan Coleman's The Summer of Impossible Things, and then finally something to look out for later this year. Tara Westover's Educated, The Journey of a Mormon Girl, away from her paranoid, very, very isolated and cut off family in Idaho all the way to the highest universities in America and the UK and then her return journey back home. Everything we've discussed on the show today will be po- is, is posted on Facebook. So go to Facebook. Don't just listen to me say this. Do it right now. Go to Facebook. Then search for People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. You'll find all the books there and all the books that we've discussed in the last two and two two plus years. And it'll be a great resource for when you're in a bookshop, you're looking for something, you want a good recommendation. If it's been mentioned in the show, it's recommended. And until next week, good Shabbos and keep reading. <laughs>